Beginning with verse 1, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your holy and sacred word, Lord. And we come before you this morning, Lord, that you may teach us, you may instruct us. But not only teach and instruct us, Lord, we do desire that you change us. And in praying this way, Lord, we recognize that there are many things that need changed about us. Lord, we pray that you would use your word, that you would work mightily uh, through this word as it's heard in uh, here this morning and as it is heard on the internet, Lord, and as it is passed around, Lord, we pray that you would use it, uh, use it to instruct and to guide and to lead. And in some cases, Lord, to, uh, to encourage and in some cases, Lord, to rebuke. Uh, Lord, meet us all where we are, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. One of my favorite Old Testament scholars is a man by the name of Derek Kidner. Uh, Derek Kidner, he went to be with the Lord about, I mean, probably about six years ago, I guess now. Lived to the grand old age of 95 years of age. And he was a music guy. I mean, I like music guys. And Derek Kidner was a music guy. Uh, but a fantastic Old Testament scholar. And probably of his most uh, popular works was a two... Uh, two-volume commentary on the book of Psalms. And the genius of that commentary is he is so concise. Uh, over and over again, he says volumes just with a sentence. These are two little books. They're only about that thick. Uh, but boy, what can be gleaned from those volumes is, is tremendous. And when he commented on Psalm 8, he commented with these words, quote, This psalm is an unsurpassed example of what a hymn should be, celebrating the grace of God, rehearsing who He is and what He has done, and relating us and our world to Him, all with a masterly economy of words and in a spirit mingled with joy and awe. Wow. Unable to even approach those words, I thought it's best just merely to quote them. This is a great psalm that we've come to. And of course, they're all great psalms. Um, what I'd like to do this morning is simply try to explain the psalm as best as I'm able. And uh, after we explain the psalm, hopefully we'll be able to arrive and formulate a meaning of the psalm. What's the psalm about? Uh, if we can get that into our heads in a sentence or maybe two, uh, then I think we're on our way to begin seeing what the significance of this psalm is for our lives and we would be on our way uh, to applying this psalm 
uh, to our lives. Uh, for if we fail to do that, then I, I would submit that we fail to even understand the psalm. If we can't apply it, we probably don't understand it. So may the Holy Spirit give us help in these, um, in these regards. Uh, starting with the title, uh, you'll notice the, the, the work above the psalm there, to the choir master according to the Gittith. Um, I have no idea what that means, that word uh, G-I-T-T-I-T-H. Uh, I don't know what it means, and I'm pretty convinced no one else does either. So um, it could be a... It could be a, some type of musical instrument. It could be a, a genre. I mean, there's all kinds of guesses. I won't take you through all of it. But the point I want to make to you here is a psalm of David. Notice that the, the title ascribes this psalm uh, to David. Uh, David is the author. He's the penman. Uh, and, of course, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is instructing David. The Holy Spirit is guiding uh, David as he writes Notice that he addresses uh, this psalm to the Lord. Uh, this psalm is not just a psalm, it's not just a hymn, it's, also, it's a prayer. Uh, purposely, uh, on our first hymn this morning, I, 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 I went to the, what we call the four chord and back to the tonic uh, for that amen at the end of the song. I did that on purpose because I wanted to make this comment. Uh, why, do those, why do all of those old hymns have that amen? at the end of so many of them. There's a theological purpose for that amen. It's because this is a prayer. Uh, uh, one thing that we're, we're saying by that is that the words that we're singing are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. There could be errors in them. Just like in our prayer life and in our prayers, there's often errors in our prayers. Nevertheless, God is pleased to hear them. He is very pleased to hear them and he calls us to himself uh, to utter these prayers. He is a father who's in heaven who realizes that he has children who are, who are often in error. And when we see that our children are in error, we don't love them any less, do we? Uh, you know, Kiara last night on the computer uh, was typing some things. She was typed some really beautiful things um, that she was trying to convey with her heart. And in the process of this, I, I, didn't even, I don't know if she was intending to show it to us or not, but I saw it on the computer and I printed it. It was so lovely and so beautiful. Uh, there are errors in it. But I, I could care less about those errors. It's not that they're unimportant. They're, they have their time. They have their place. Uh, we have a Father in heaven. And in many ways, uh, in the same kind of way, He understands we're often in error. Um, this psalm is lifted uh, to God. And of course, this psalm is a little bit different than our hymns or different than our prayers. This psalm is inspired. Uh, there are no errors in this psalm. Uh, we can trust that this psalm completely. David is addressing to uh, the Lord. He says, O Lord, our Lord. Notice that the first Lord is capitalized. Uh, that's, uh, you've heard me comment on this in the past. Uh, that's, th that, that's the way that the translators of this passage inform us that the word that is being translated is the, is the, the word, the name Yahweh. It's the name that God gives Moses at the burning bush. Uh, this name uh, Yahweh, uh, translated into English, means I am. Uh, God is the great I am. He is not becoming. He, he, he has no beginning. He has no end. He is the sovereign, self-sustaining God who sustains all things. 
who is in unlimited uh, glory and power. Uh, it is to Yahweh, our Lord. Uh, the second Lord simply means sovereign one. You all know the name of this Adonai. Uh, oh, Yahweh, our Adonai is what's being said here. Adonai means sovereign. Uh, David is, uh, continues, he says, How majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, by the word name, what David is meaning to convey here is all of God's characteristics, all his attributes, uh, the works of his hands, and the word majestic. We hear majesty a lot in, in hymns and in uh, praise songs. Uh, what does majesty mean? Uh, I don't think we use the word that much in common English as we talk to each other. and uh, It probably doesn't come up much in tweets and text messages and the like. Um, majesty is, uh, it simply means lofty, uh, regal, uh, supreme greatness, if you will. Um, David continues and says that you have set your glory above the heavens. Notice the word above. Um, not even the heavens can contain God's glory. His glory is even above the heavens. We oftentimes think of God as being in heaven. Uh, well, heaven can't contain him either. And it's almost as if reading this, it's like David is, he's grasping for words here. He's trying to find words that are big enough, grand enough, strong enough. He's trying to find metaphors that can carry the freight of conveying just how majestic and wonderful and sovereign God is. And of course, all these words fail to do it. No words can carry that freight. I can relate with David. I'm trying to do the same thing right now, and I'm failing miserably as well. God is above all of this. Uh, he is completely above all of this. Uh, there's one more detail here that it's really important that we see. I touched on it in, in, in my prayer earlier. But David says, O Lord, our Lord. O U R, our Lord. And I, I do fear that we take it for granted that, um, that the sovereign, self sustaining, and majestic God who's above the heavens has condescended and chosen to be our God. Do we reflect on that? Or do we take it for granted? Well, of course he's our God. Why wouldn't he be our God? Why wouldn't he be our God? Oh boy, there's a lot of reasons why he wouldn't want to be our God. The likes of, of us. But he has chosen to be our God. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, he has, he has done this. You didn't do this. He did this. He came and gathered you to himself so that he could be your God and he could be my God. And he didn't have to do that. Uh, and I think we ought to reflect on that from time to time. He did not have to do that. But he did. And he is our God. I, um, I don't have an audience with the governor of the state of West Virginia, Earl Ray Tallman, but I know people personally who do. I don't have an audience with Senator Manchin, the former governor of West Virginia, but I, I know people who do. Uh, I don't have an audience with the President of the United States or his cabinet, and I don't know people who do. <laughs> but I do have audience with the Lord of Lords. And it's so much greater, isn't it? Is he your God? David is saying, oh Lord, our Lord. If you're in Christ Jesus, 
this morning. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your portion. And He is also the lover of your soul. If you're not in Christ Jesus this morning, He is your judge. Uh, that should be all the impetus in the world to uh, take Him as your Savior today. Verse 2, out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. A strange little sentence, isn't it? What do we make of this? Uh, out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. The Apostle Paul captures this thought, I think, well when he writes these words in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I thought about using this as our scripture memory verse, but I... I later changed my mind, but he writes in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, uh, quote, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. A believer in Christ Jesus may not be able to speak proper English. He or she might not be able to read. He or she might not be able to uh, to, to perform really very much in, the, in terms of uh, what we would call intellectual uh, capacity or, or academic endeavors, whatever you want to call the thing. But I would submit to you that the believer in Christ Jesus knows more about this universe, where it comes from and how it operates, than the most sophisticated but unbelieving scientist that this world can, can put forth. And that's a big claim, isn't it? That's a real big claim. Somebody might say, wait a second, Rick, how can you make such a claim as that? Well, uh, let, me, let, let me back that up. Jesus applies this verse in Matthew 21. We're going to get there. Uh, two weeks ago on, on Palm Sunday, uh, we were looking at Matthew 21. We were looking at the triumphal entry, weren't we? Well, as Jesus comes down off that mountain and he goes into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple area, and he clears the temple area of the thieving that's going on there. He clears the money changers out of there. And while he's doing this, children are in there saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. And the doctors of theology, you know, the guys with all the initials at the end of their names, the guys who've been in school forever and ever, they're indignant over the melodies that are coming forth from the lips of these children, and they order Jesus to silence them. Shut those children up, is in essence what they say to Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He responds by saying, you know, haven't you ever read? You guys with all your degrees, and everything, don't, you understand? don't you know Psalm 8? Out of the mouths of infants and babes you have prepared praise. I don't think it's hard to see that these little children have a better idea what's going on, at least their profession. I don't know how much they understood, but their profession is accurate. And the wise and the sophisticated are lost. They think they can order Jesus around. That's why I stand beside what I've said. And it's actually good news because, you know, some of us, we might not really think of ourselves as really being that smart. We're going to look at this in just a little bit. We might think of ourselves as not really being able to read much or to understand much. Well, you know what? I don't suppose those children were either, but Jesus was pleased with them. Jesus was pleased with them. 
Verses 3 and 4, David says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Uh, it is believed by many that David uh, is writing these words at night. One, one reason for that is that there's no mention of the sun, uh, just the moon and the stars. And perhaps David is penning these words as he's laying, uh, he's laying down at night and he's looking up at, up at the sky on a clear night. They, those who have been in the Holy Land say on, uh, that the air is, uh, in some areas is so, so clean, so clear that it's almost, uh, on those clear nights, it's almost like those stars, you could just reach out and touch them. Uh, from what I understand, I've never been there. From what I understand, it's quite beautiful. And David is, uh, he is, he is examining the, the vastness of the universe and the vastness of, the, of, of creation. And he is comparing humanity to the vastness of this creation. Uh, he is weighing humanity in the scales, if you will, of this and humanity is really found to be quite wanting. It's found to be very frail and weak, like a speck of dust. Now, think about it. I mean, we're not here very long. We come, we go, a generation or two, we're forgotten about, and it's almost like we were never here at all. Very few of us will be remembered 50 years from now. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? Look at verses 5 and 6. Yet. It's like, hold on. Yet. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet. I don't think there's any doubt that David had Genesis 1, 26 and 27 in his mind as he was, as he was penning these words. I mean, you remember we read it at the beginning of the service. Uh, there are scholars that disagree with what I'm about to say. There are also scholars that agree, but uh, I take, the, I, I take the, the, um, uh, the interpretation that what's going on in, in verse 26 is, and 27 is an inner Trinitarian discussion that God allows us to, to listen in on. God says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Who's the us? Now, some scholars will say, well, it's angels. I don't think it's angels. The reason is because God says, let us make man in our image. We're not made in the, in the image of angels, are we? We're made in the image of God. Well, who's us? Well, some will say, well, the us is the plurality of God's uh, uh, vastness and the plurality of his, of his, uh, of his character, and et cetera, et cetera. And maybe, that's, maybe, that, maybe that is the case. I don't know. I think the us is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's what I think it is. I think, this is. I think God is opening up the heavens and allowing us to listen in to about what he's about to do. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. I think now we, we, can, we can stand back and, 
we've got a lot of pieces scattered on the floor here. Uh, and we, maybe we're starting to get some ideas how some of them fit together. Let's see if we can put some of this together. What's, what's going on here? Well, um, David is comparing humanity to the great vastness of the universe, right? He's looking up at the stars. He's looking at the moon. He's looking at the vastness of, the, uh, of this universe. And then uh, he, he's looking at himself, perhaps, and he's looking at men and women, humanity, if you will. And it's causing him just to... Just to it's almost like he's breathless at the vastness of God, the majesty of God. The, 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 we can't even comprehend or begin to describe how great God is. We look at his creation, how great it is. And David is, is thinking, what in the world are we that you're so mindful of us? Why do you even care for us? But boy, you have. We're also very special because you've created us. We're, you've created us in your own likeness and you've given us dominion over, uh, over this whole creation. In other words, David is breathless, I think, here. I think he's breathless over the significance that God has given to humanity. Let me take a stab at this. Um, if someone was to examine me and say, Rick, you know, what does Psalm 8, what, is, what does Psalm 8 mean? Uh, if you could write that down in a sentence for me. This is... I guess this is what I would write. I'd say Psalm 8 celebrates the glory of God who in spite of man's frailty and smallness has appointed him as king of creation. Let me read that to you again. Psalm 8 celebrates the glory of God who in spite of man's frailty and smallness has appointed him as king of creation. Man, if I might be allowed another sentence to... To clarify what I mean by king of creation, I have a little lowercase k here. I got a little k here. I don't have a big k. I have a little k. Because we were called to be the little k, working under the supervision of the big k. God is the big k. Where are the little k? One of the problems we have is we don't like being the little k. We want to be the big k. So aside from that, what do we learn from this? If this is the meaning of the song, which I submit to you it is, what do we learn? What do we learn from it? Well, there's so many things that could be said, but what I really want to drive home is what the title of the sermon suggests is a derived glory. What do I mean by a derived glory? I mean this, that our significance here on this planet is derived. It means that it comes from God. It comes from another source. It's not from ourselves. It's, it's from God. David says, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now, we have a tendency to value ourselves by what we have accomplished or by what we're capable of doing or uh, by the fact that we're particularly good at something or uh, whatever it might be. You see, what we're doing when we do that is we're deriving our significance from ourselves. This means that uh, for many of us, we don't have much to put down. Most of us are average, aren't we? Most of us are, really haven't accomplished anything great. Most of us might even, maybe even some of us might even feel that we're below average. And maybe when we're graded on um, 
certain skills, that's true. I can tell you right now, I'm a below average baseball player. I think it's silly. I understand why people do this, but I, 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 I think it's, I think the intentions are well, but um, having, having, having uh, games and not having any winners or not having any losers and telling everybody that they're great at something, that they're, to tell me that I'm great at baseball, I, I don't think that I would really take you very seriously if you did it all the time. Okay, I just struck out three times in a row, but he's a great ball player. It's good to have you on the team, Rick. Uh, okay. Uh, well, you missed two of those grounders back there and you threw the ball to the wrong base, uh, but you're a great, great player, man. It's great. I, that's silly, isn't it? But in one sense, I understand it. Because we're wired up for it. I understand why people do it. But, but you see, it, 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 it's still lost. Psalm 8 is tearing all this apart. Psalm, Psalm 8 is not telling us that we're insignificant. It's not telling us that we're not glorious. It's not telling us that there's no honor to us. In fact, to the opposite. It's telling us that we're significant. It's telling us that we're glorious. It's telling us that there's honor. There's been honor placed upon us. That we, it is so great that we don't even understand it. But what we need to understand is it's a derived glory. It doesn't come in and from ourselves. It comes from another source that is outside of ourselves. And it's important that we see this. It's important that we see this. This is going to do two things to us. It's going to humble us. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. Here's David, probably laying somewhere in some field somewhere, looking up at the stars at night and asking the question, Lord, in the midst of all of this, what are we that you're mindful of us? Well, who is King David? During his career, he was the most powerful man on the planet. He was an exceptional and outstanding warrior. And he was the penman of psalm after psalm after psalm. How many could put those kinds of credentials on their portfolio? Yet David says, what in the world am I that you're mindful of me? See, David is humble. And this leads me to my next thought. It takes humility to see this truth. I mean, we can't see it unless we've been humbled. One country singer touches on this with these words. Uh, you've all heard them. I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. I like that line a lot. I'll tell you why, because it suggests that there was a time where you did feel small when you stood beside the ocean. This kind of reminds us of Jesus' words. You know, remember what he said, unless you become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And that's all about humility. It's not about being childish. As proud human beings, we don't want a derived significance. We want to merit that significance. I'm not saying we're all the same in this. We vary in this. Not all of us are the same. 
But the prouder we are, the more we're going to want to merit that significance, and we're going to want others to see that significance, and we're going to want praise for that significance. In other words, we're going to want to be great at something, and we're going to want others to notice that we're great at something. And we're going to want to be busy showing that off to everybody. See, that, if, that's a, if that's the disposition of our hearts, then we're not like children. In the sense that Jesus is saying, unless you're like, you become like children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You see, we're outside. You see, this is humbling. David, the, whole, the Holy Spirit through David here seems to be wanting us to ask the question David asks, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you should care for him. You see, we need to come to that place before we're going to be uh, in awe of what comes next. Now, there's a flip side of this. Some of us, and I know there are some in this room right now because I've had talks with you, you feel lower than the surface of the ground. Well, there's an application here. You are not lower than the surface of the ground. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm not going to say something empty like you're like Rick's a great ball player, that's empty. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to tell you the truth. You're significant because you're a human being. Have you ever thought about the great privilege it is to be a human being? You're a human being. That makes you really significant. Nothing else in creation can make that claim but human beings. The angels can't even make that claim. You have been created in the image of God. This is why slander is, is uh, such a, a gross sin. Because slander slams image bearers of God. That's why it's so heinous in God's sight. You're a human being. Psalm 8 teaches us humility, doesn't it? It also teaches us what humility is. Humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is seeing yourself for where you actually are. Uh, when we put ourselves down all the time, actually that can sometimes be a symptom of intense pride. And I won't go into all of that. Uh, just trust me on that. And if you want me to explain that, to call me aside after the service. I'll be happy to. We'll, we'll, we'll cover it on another day. But what I do want you to see is humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is seeing where you belong in the universe. Psalm 8 teaches us where we belong in the universe. That's what Psalm 8 is doing. Where do we belong in the universe? We've been created just under the heavenly beings. We've been crowned with dominion and honor and glory that is derived from God. And when I say we, there's no one in this room that's exempt from this. I assume you're all human beings, right? I'm not mistaking anybody here, am I? What is humility? It's knowing where we are, knowing where we fit. Not trying to be something we aren't, but conversely, uh, in contrast to this, uh, not selling ourselves short either. No matter how lowly you might feel, you're a human being. I would, I would encourage Psalm 8 to take this in and drink deeply of it. You are a human being. You've been created in the image of God, and that is what makes you valuable. 
That is what makes you valuable. I want to close with a last thought. I've been speaking of this psalm really in a way that we would, we would say is uh, anthropological. Uh, I, I want to speak a, a di- in a different way of this psalm in a way that we would call Christological. What does that mean? Well, in essence, what it means is I'm speaking of this psalm so far in, in, in this message uh, as it pertains to us in Adam. That dominion in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is given to Adam, right? And from Adam is given to all humanity. You follow me? And that's the way I've been speaking all the way up to this point. And I've already touched on the fact that, okay, uh, yeah, we, we, were, we were made kings with a little K, but the problem is we didn't want to be little K kings. We want to be big K kings. We all want to be big Ks, not little Ks. Someone might say, well, I don't really want to be a big K. Well, if you've ever rebelled against God, then you wanted to be a big K when you did that. Uh, that covers, I think, all of us, right? It covers me. We want to be big Ks. We failed at this miserably. But God has come in the person of Jesus Christ, you see. And the New Testament refers to him as the second Adam. And he succeeded at it. And what he succeeded in doing is bringing even more glory to the human race, if that is possible. Think about this for a moment. How glorious is the human race that the second person of the Holy Trinity would take the nature, the human nature upon himself and fasten it to himself for here and now and forevermore. What kind of value does that put to the human race? If you think you're nothing, you're probably comparing yourself to others. Uh, Don't do that no more. Try to stop doing that. And go to Psalm 8. And go to Hebrews chapter 2. And you'll see that in Hebrews chapter 2, Psalm 8 is being applied to Jesus. And it's pointing to the incarnation. Jesus, for a period of time, was made a little lower than the angels. Just for a period of time. He lived that perfect life. He died on the cross and then he is raised. And now all things have been put in subjection under his feet. And if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, guess what? You are a co-heir of everything that's taking place. You will reign with Jesus Christ in all eternity. What kind of value does that put to you? Oh, now I think I hear David saying, Oh, Lord, what is man that you're so mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him so much? Who are we that God should love us so much as he does? We have his promises, don't we? Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, We tremble at these words. Lord, we absolutely tremble at these words. Lord, give us the faith to drink deeply from these words, to see, Lord, just who we are in Christ Jesus, to see, oh Lord, what you have done in Christ Jesus, to see our derived glory, Lord. It's not in and of ourselves. May we quit looking there for it. And may we look to you, oh Lord, to see the true glory and the true honor that is that is ours in Christ Jesus. 
We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.